30 weeks ago, Kansas was cutting down the net to New Orleans. I was sad and happy and just kind of, I was so drained on that day and the day after and the day after that, that sometimes it's hard to realize like, okay, we're losing this for 31 weeks, but we are thankfully after months of previews, months of looking ahead, we are one week away, Brad, from college basketball returning. We cannot wait. We've gone through our conference previews. If you've missed any of them, I know I, I apologize. We've had a few issues with our RSS feed, uh, which essentially means that some of you guys may have been having problems seeing a couple of our shows coming through. Um, but there are conference previews out there for the 10 um, most notable conferences, that being the Power Six, the AAC, the Atlantic 10, the Mountain West, and the WCC. We've got a mid-major one-bid league show uh, combined with our prop bets. And now today, Brad, we're just kind of overviewing things. Some of our bigger questions, our bigger storylines, we'll kind of summarize where we where we stand on top of the We'll hit on some of the, the news and things we've seen late, lately, obviously exhibitions and whatnot, um, that have raised some eyebrows, certainly, um, and get ready for the week ahead, which is college basketball. Uh, very excited, very, very ready to have real game action because Brad, I think this is where we'll start. Holy cow! Like, do some of these results that were coming that are coming through on some of these scrimmages and exhibitions make just zero sense? I think the biggest one is the Texas Arkansas one. And now, I was down on Arkansas. I have not really moved them down. I. Moved a couple of teams up in a, you know, panic overreaction that knocked Arkansas, I think, down to like 15 or something. But I, I, I certainly would have told you on, you know, when we spoke last week that Arkansas and Texas would play a really close game. It's not like Texas is running it back or anything. They have a ton of new pieces, a ton of youth in there as well. Uh, but they, they destroyed Arkansas. Now, I, 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 I didn't see the game. There's no, yeah, there was no feed. So if you were not stream, there. I know John John Rostein was super upset about that, and Texas probably should have streamed it, given that they killed them so much. I mean, we touched on throughout the offseason how Arkansas kind of took more role player transfers, in theory, um, to cater to their start star freshmen, and, and they started all all three of their star freshmen. They started Trevon Brazil, who was one of the big stock risers of the offseason with his explosive athleticism. Yes. Um, but it seemed like not nothing doing in the front court and just kind of an overall lackluster performance by the Hogs. Yeah, I mean there was a lot, right? So we so 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 a few of the highlights of scrimmage of scrimmage results and whatnot. And again, we can't go through all of them, and we don't want to overreact to all of them. But the the big ones I think that moved the needle were Texas killing Arkansas, Tennessee really dominating Gonzaga. Um, Louisville losing to a Division II team. Kentucky failing to put any offense together against the Division II team. Um, Houston beat Duke in a very grinded out um, secret scrimmage. That was no lively, no whitehead. No lively, no whitehead. That's correct. Two potential starters for Duke. Keep that in mind. Yeah. Yeah. Good players. Um. And then a couple kind of mixed in. I know there was a Xavier losing to Vanderbilt result that was surprising, particularly when Vanderbilt had lost to Georgia Tech. Um, 
you know, things like, like things like that. But um, I mean, I, I, I think almost all of the big results were somewhat surprising, right? Like, I, I mean, you, you point out Texas, I think you're sure, but also, again, you don't know motivations. You don't know exactly how, um, <clears throat> without watching, it's hard to say. Like, I watched Tennessee and Gonzaga, and I was, like, floored by how good Tennessee looked and floored by how pedestrian at times Gonzaga looked. Um, that was concerning for me as someone who was Gonzaga's second in the nation. I've probably been one of the more favorable people in the media to Louisville and Louisville scored 47 points and turned it over 16 times against the division two team that went 10 and 18 last year and lost to a junior college, um, Caldwell community college earlier in the week. So like, and that is the, the division two team Louisville did not lose to Caldwell community college. Um, Lots of weird, lots of really concerning things. So with, with Arkansas and te- Texas, I'm kind of inclined to just like toss my arms in the air and say whatever, right? Like Arkansas is super, super young. They're on the road. Um, Texas, well, while they are young in some spots, do have a sweet 16-point guard in Tyrese Hunter and fifth-year guys, Marcus Carr, Timmy Allen, Christian Bishop, right? Like... It's not as though that's a complete. Um, it's it's not as though that's 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 a complete new new look. I mean, that's older guys, and I understand that. Like that to me was not that shattering. I'm good with where I have both teams. Maybe I'm a little high on Arkansas, but look, Moss has had some slow starts. He's figured it out. I trust him. I trust Nick Smith. I think he'll be okay. Tennessee putting up a hundred on Gonzaga was like a real, real statement to me. And how they looked. I, I watched that game um, on pay-per-view. The way Tennessee was moving the ball, obviously, again, it helps make shots. They're not going to shoot the three the way they did um, that game every single night. Kyrie Key was awesome making shots for them. Uh, but, like, the ball was just popping. I mean, getting in, getting in, getting inside the paint, getting it from side to side. I mean, they did an unbelievable job of that. They've got a deep athletic front court with, you know, Jonas Adu and – uh, Olivier Kamua and Plavsic, who was very good. Um, you know, Jemima Shack looked good. Like this team looked like it was really deep. It looked like Zakai Ziegler could play point guard. It looked like it had shooting. It had multiple playmakers, obviously, with Vescovy and Ziegler. I mean, this thing was impressive. And as impressive as they were, I thought Gonzaga had its moments, but I also think. Gonzaga's, you know, critical piece in Nolan Hickman looked relatively ordinary, and they cannot yeah, afford him to just be ordinary. There's a first on Tennessee versus the Zags. Yeah, I had Tennessee 22nd going in. I don't you want to overreact too much. I was. I didn't buy the offense, and then we just saw this incredible offensive explosion. And now maybe that could have could have had to do more with the Zags' lackluster defense. Maybe it could have been a hot shooting night. I mean, Josiah James didn't even play in the game. Um, and, you know, he's well, he's a top 100 player in the country easily. So Tennessee could even have another gear to get to. I know I know the, the analytics love them. I'm going with them in, like, I think it puts them at 12 right now, um, kind of splitting the difference there. Uh, but it was certainly an eye-opening experience. You know, my my concerns, one was the offense. 
two was Ziegler. Um, I, I thought people had him as a star when really he was a solid starter. I mean, he looked super good on on Friday. Um, and then thirdly, I thought that their lineup looked incredible defensively, but th- there was going to be a pretty big o- offensive trade-off. And we, we didn't get that today, even, you know, working in guys like Phillips as a freshman. You know, they played two bigs. Uh, Plosic had a pretty pretty strong o- offensive impact. You know what to do was flash in that jumper that made him such an appealing high school prospect. So Tennessee is one that could have the egg on my face pretty soon. You mentioned the Zags. Hickman just kind of looked ordinary. Uh, he, he didn't really pop. And, you know, o- overall, they just looked like a tear, tear down from Tennessee. But I, I'm going to leave them at number one. I mean, my logic, I think, still stands with all, all, all the talent and the fact that they are going to outclass the opponent in like 80 plus percent of their games where like they don't right. have a chance of losing. Right. Um, and then look, I mean, I, I don't expect Tyree key to be better than Malachi Smith, but you know, like I, I do think the risk you you, we've always kind of run with Gonzaga is okay. Last year, their defense was guaranteed to be elite because Chet was there. Now he's not. So now, now there's a little bit of trade off there. And if they don't have elite guard play, if they just have good guard play, then they're probably not a true national title contender, right? If they just, if Nolan Hickman is like a average point guard, I don't think this team has real national title upside. Yeah, because you you compare their guards with the other teams in in, in tier one. Um, right, so you have Malachi Smith, Nolan Hickman, and, and Razier Bolton. You compare them to like R.J. Davis, Caleb Love, Marcus Sasser, Jamal Shedd, even you know Roach, Proctor, Whitehead. However, that backcourt sorts itself out, and the Zags are on paper, you know, a little bit behind those other teams. Right, and and. And look, I mean, I think I think we both believe that Hickman can be that guy. I think it was just concerning that he he, he didn't really impact the game, and Salas really struggled. Malachi Smith was just kind of out there. So again, we'll see. I mean, I'm not I'm not I, by no means. I mean, I'm sticking with him too. I, I think I think they'll be fine. And like you said, they're going to win their win their game, their, their WCC games. Like I expect them to win some pretty high profile games in um in the non conference as they always do, but. If their guard play is only good, that will hold them back. And Tennessee's guard play looked great. And if their guard play is great, when you consider the fact that they're going to be really good on defense, that they're going to be really physical, they're going to be tough, they're going to be deep, they're going to be tough out if that's the case. So, yeah. And then the Louisville Cardinals. It is ironic because I was sitting at the Providence Assumption game and my fiance was like, is, is is this game going to be closer than the last scrimmage? And I was like, probably not, and I sure hope not. I, you know, re- really hoping for a 50-point game. And I said, well, hey, every year, some team loses this game. And a day later, Louisville announces that they are that team. They lose to Len- Lenore Rhyme, Lenore Rhyme, by double figures. Their guard situation, I think, reared its ugly head. I mean, you 
score 47 points against a Division II team. Looking at the box score, L. Ellis, their one guard, someone who I know you had a breakout, you had as, as a breakout player, I would have bet a million dollars he would be a breakout player because he was their only guard. He was pr- pretty sub- subdued in this game. He played 20 minutes. Backup Fabio Basili played 10 minutes, which means they had walk-on Percy Miller out there as their point guard for 10 minutes. I, I mean, I think that says it all. Well, right, so, so, so a few things here, right, like with Louisville. There are varying degrees. There, there should always be concern when you lose to an Andy one. Full stop. The thing that's concerning with Louisville is the way they lost the game was exactly the way that we thought might be an issue. And it didn't appear, based on the box, that Lenore Ryan did anything extraordinary, right? Like, if, 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 I guess my point is this. Like, if, if, if Louisville lost to Lenore Ryan or Providence lost to Assumption or whatever, you'd be like, yeah, red flag. But, oh, you know, the Division II team made 15 threes, and, you know, Louisville shot one for 30. You say, okay, variance, it's a game. It's, it's up, that up shot quality score. Right. That's not necessarily indicative, okay, this team is going to stink, right? Like, the fact that Louisville, where he's like, okay, their offense might be struggle because they don't really have guards. Their offense can't score, turns it over a bunch, really low assist. That worries you. So, I mean, look, I... I've just kind of been buying the talent, right? And, I, and I'm buying the fact that, like, okay, these guys are going to want want to play for Kenny Payne. They're going to be bought in. I don't know what Kenny Payne is as, like, an X and O coach. I don't know that he'll be, like, a super high-impact guy. We don't really have evidence on that either way because other than this Division II exhibition, he's never coached as a head coach before. But I do think, like, for – I just I just felt like okay like this team is a team full of top 150 recruits and elite like JUCO recruits and whatnot. They're athletic as heck. They're probably gonna be good on the glass. They're probably just gonna kind of bully people and be physical. And Ellis will do enough. Where this is like a nine and eleven ACC team. And that's why I picked them like 80th nationally. And I would like to move off that right now if I could. I, I'm not going to just because. Um, for starters, we kind of we already locked our ACC rankings in, so I don't feel great about them like making a massive shift the day before we release our national rankings. Um, people, and I think yeah, people will accuse you of Chad fording yourself. Exactly. Uh, and the other thing is like, I, look, if if I start trying to play this game too much on the exhibitions, all of a sudden it's like, oh fuck, like here we go, like got to put in, um, you know, got to move up Vanderbilt. Got, but got to move down there because it's all tech. Got to move down Xavier. Like, I'm not doing this. So I'm probably too high on Louisville. Maybe it figures itself out. But the thing you never want is for the exact problems you were worried could happen to rear their ugly head very early. And look, we, we talked about this. Louisville's got to go to Mount. <laughs> like, that tournament field is so loaded. And they so, have Arkansas first. So loaded. And yep. then they, presumably they, they would lose, you would think. Uh, but you never know. Um, a overmatch 
Virginia Tech team beat Michigan State recently. You know, there there have been some some uh, crazy Maui stuff, but yes, um, if if they were to lose, they would play the loser of Creighton and Texas Tech, and then that's Texas Tech without Fardos. But I mean, that's still going to be Macho, a great yeah. defensive team, physical, deep, athletic. Not what you want to see when you lack ball handlers. You don't want all this ball pressure when guys can't really dribble. Cool. Well, I'm actually, I mean, look, and look, it doesn't actually, it doesn't get easier, right? So after Maui, they do home Maryland, home Miami, road Florida State, home Western Kentucky. These are not going to be easy. Actually, do you, do you, would, would you, would you have any interest in adding this to, to the prop bets? I guess we're on odd numbers. We don't really want to. Louisville plays their three bye games for Maui are Bellarmine, Wright State, and Appalachian State. Three like spunky mids, right? Not not teams that anyone's really picking to win their own league, win their leagues. But Bellarmine won their conference tournament last year. Wright State won its conference tournament last year. App State won it two years ago. And Dustin Kearns, we both I think hold in relatively high regard. Nagy, we hold in high regard. Uh, and then obviously Scott Davenport did a very nice job at Bellarmine. What are, like what what are we, what are the chances that Louisville gets out alive of those three games? You three and zero. Yes. Um, I I think that they're definitely going to lose one. I mean, Bellarmine's a a really tough one because that's like a a same city, right? Where that's yeah. that's that's going to be Bellarmine's Super Bowl, and Louisville's not going to care. Well, they might care after losing to Lenore Ryan, but that's why Providence stopped playing Brown because Providence <laughs> doesn't care. Brown really cares, and we get some crazy outcomes when. You might as well just play Fairfield. Yeah. I would, I, if you want to add it to the, the sheet, I don't care. But I would board bet Louisville does not lose one of those three bye games. But Louisville does lose or does no, not? No, does not. If you're saying they're definitely losing one. All right, yeah, I would take good. under 0.5. Okay. If you, I mean, I don't know why I'm doubling down on Louisville after I just said, look how much of a disaster they are. But why not? Let's do it. I'll make sure to kind of um, signify this is a in-season bet. So yeah, in-season season bet right here. Um, yeah, because I, I I was looking through some potential buy game losers in week one. And that Louisville Bellarmine is just blinking red light. You know, first three games. Yes. Really interesting um, buy game on the Friday, the, the Veterans Day. Imani Bates in Eastern Michigan playing at Michigan on yes. ESPNU. It's going to be good. It's going to be really fun. I'm going to be at um, Wisconsin Stanford that day. But that will be a good – like I saw – like someone tweeted something after Imani had his like good exhibition performance. Like – their tweet said something to the extent of like, you know, pe- people were very ha- happy to, you know, piss all over Amani when they lost to, or when he got arrested and when he stunk at Memphis. So why is no one talking about this? And I was like, I'm pretty sure no one's talking about this because it was an untelevised Division II exhibition game that like even me, a college basketball reporter, did not know what happened until after I saw tweets about it. That, that, that would be why no one's talking about it. 
If Amani Bates puts up 27 against Michigan, people will talk about it. It will be a big story. Regardless, they could get killed. They could lose by 30. If Amani Bates puts up like an efficient 27 against Michigan, it is going to be a huge national story. It will probably be the story of opening week in college basketball. Oh, definitely. Honestly. I mean, there's the uh, biggest game of the week. So well, that's Michigan State beats season. Gonzaga. Yeah. With, yeah, with, with Michigan State-Gonzaga. And that could be a blowout. I mean, who knows? Uh, people keep talking up Jay Nakins. I, I see a tweet every day talking about how Jay Nakins is a breakout player, and he's not even good to go yet. <laughs> he, I know. He, he might not even play in that game. Uh, certainly, I, I think the Friday nine o'clock window. I think that's that's going to be a great opportunity to get eyes on Imani Bates early. Yeah, I got to hustle home. Hour and a half trip from Milwaukee. Pick up the spotted cows on the way. Maybe make the second half. You have a, a DVR? Nah. I get. I'll just rewatch. I can watch on the ESPN's app. I get I get ten hours of DVR free with my cable. Oh boy. Which is not much, but just for something like that, you know, you just record the games, they have social media, you can stay fresh. Um, yeah, uh, Amani had a big game. I think Farrakhan had a big game as well in, in that scrimmage, and and then uh, Legend Jeter had a double double. So yeah, but they only but they only beat Grand Valley, who's like a decent to not a but not elite Division two team by sixteen. So it's not like they were like overly overwhelming dominant. So we'll see. I'm not super worried about the Imani, Imani show. I'm sure it will sort itself out. But do you have any more scrimmage talk, Brad? Anything else that you want to really want to get off your chest on that front before we we wanted to kind of summarize what we've got top 25 wise, some of our kind of national takes. I guess the one thing we can talk about that's a good segue into the top 25 was that Severe Wheeler got hurt again. Wait, 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 I had I had a very crucial observation from scrimmage season I had to share. Oh boy. So I, I was off by one person on both the West Virginia starting lineup and the USC starting lineup. It was Kobe Johnson both times. <laughs> West Virginia, Kobe Johnson started over Joe Toussaint. USC, Kobe Johnson started over Trey White. How's that for something crazy? That's incredible. No, I think it's the, the USC Kobe Johnson, right, is the younger brother of Duke defector Jalen Johnson, right? I couldn't tell you. What good are you? I know. All right, now off to Severe Wheeler. Yes. Probably going to be fine. But on, 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 on Titus and Tate from last week, they were talking about Oscar Shibway's Kentucky media appearance. And because Cal's been like, oh, you know, he's fine, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Because Oscar said, like, even if my leg falls off, I'm going to play. They're like, well, that's kind of alarming. I thought thought he was fine. Now he's talking like he's actually hurt and going to play through something. So I think the thing with Oscar was he just got his knee scoped. And when you get your knee scoped, I think, like, very early on, you're in, like, hobble mode and then you just like recover very quickly because it wasn't like that invasive a procedure i guess that's what i've gathered so i guess we'll see like as long as he's around for champions classic it's big but that's going to bring us to wheeler so wheeler went down they're playing missouri western division two school um the coach was a manager under calipari 
at Kentucky. And Wheeler tried to drive baseline and went up and kind of got like body bumped as he went up and his knee just buckled. Uh, And and I know Calipari said that his, it was the same knee that he was banged up with from pro day or something along that, that timeline, but he put no weight on it coming off the floor. And that's a little concern. So again, we don't need to like have, you know, hopelessly speculate on injuries, but it does seem possible that he will miss at least some period of time. There's also the factor, though, that, like, these guys' careers are, like, so fragile where, like, if they get hurt, that's, like, an enormous setback. Yes. So, like, if you go down and you feel, like, any sort of weirdness or pain, even if it's, like, really slight, you're, like, super scared. Like, oh, shit, you know, this is, this is my ACL. Right. Especially, especially if it's something you've already injured, you're already kind of being careful with. I agree. That was like the Ryan Kalkbrenner thing, like when he went down against San Diego State, and everyone was like, oh, that's an ACL. And then I think after he was like, well, it didn't really hurt. It was just like I was scared because it felt weird. And it was just like a MCL sprain or whatever it was. But. Well, and like you see a lot of these, right? You see like Rianc Mast, who's the first team all-conference guy at Bradley. Uh, he had like a non-contact knee injury, which is scary, scary stuff, obviously, always. Um, and it turned out it's just like an MCL sprain. So he's out four weeks, four to six weeks instead of, you know, for the season, if it was a, a tear. Right. So again, we'll, we'll, we'll monitor it with severe, but look, any amount of time that he misses would be really, really impactful to this team. He's our one experienced ball. We, right. We, we not, we, we knock him, right? Like he, he gets his share of criticism because of what he doesn't do, which is not shoot the ball, but they don't have another answer at point guard. Like they can play Casein Wallace there, but Casein Wallace is a combo guard who, you know, we had his first collegiate game who hasn't really had to drill that much of point guard. And then you have Adu Tiero who seems to be putting up some impressive numbers. He's a winner but, though. He yeah, doesn't advertise as a point guard, but he, he really feels right. just like a straight. Probably, probably more of a wing and is a three-star freshman. Like there would be some issues if, if it gets to a point where Spirit isn't able to play. And again, same thing, like looking at the schedule, Champions Classic would be the would be the big target. Can you get them back by then? If you can't, that's Michigan State. They have Gonzaga in uh, Portland, or not Portland, excuse me, in Spokane. On the 20th, they have Michigan in London on, the, on December 4th, uh, and then UCLA in New York City on December 17th. Those are like the tent posts of the Kentucky non-con. So file that one under worth monitoring and maybe more. So um, I think part of the reason that Wheeler is always getting hurt is that he's like a tiny point guard who's not a shooter. Like everything is going to the basket and he's yeah. just getting bothered. He's getting beat up. Yeah, it's, it's inevitable. But I um, that jumper. Anyway. So do we want to hit let, – let's hit our top 25s real quick and just kind of run through so people remember what we've done because we've given it to you all piecemeal throughout the uh, throughout the last eight or so weeks. So I, uh, well, I'll just do the top five of mine, which is North Carolina, Gonzaga, Houston, Kentucky, and Duke. Um, I feel not totally great about Duke at five the more I kind of feel it out just because, look, I mean – it's still a young team. 
They're still going to be figuring out roles. This feels to me like a lot like Hubert year one, where it's like, okay, there's a lot here. It could work really well, but it might take a little time. The pieces are going to take some time, and the coach might take some time. So I don't feel great. If I were to do it again, I would probably flip Duke and Baylor and put Baylor in the top five. Um, we talked a little bit about Gonzaga. I have no real worries about North Carolina. It sounds like Penance is cruising along. And then Kentucky, it's just injury worries uh, more than anything. So that was my top five. What did you have? So I I have kept my top five the same, even with the re- recent scrimmage results. Yes. I have Gonzaga, UNC, Kentucky, UCLA, and Duke. You're very high on UCLA, who beat San Diego State in a tight one without Adam Bana. You're just reasoning here for UCLA. I think they have a top 10 player in Hawkeyes who is super versatile. I think they'll have a good backcourt play with Campbell and Bailey. Nice, nice mix of shooting and scoring. Campbell's been shooting it better. I think they have great versatility and athleticism when you factor in a guy like Jalen Clark who can play multiple positions. Yeah. David Singleton brings some shooting off the bench. They have a few other young, highly recruited, highly ranked flyers off the bench. In the front court, I think Bana might be getting dinged a little bit in terms of perception because he's an old school big. He's all power. Um, but that's going to be really effective in, in that college basketball. I think you know you can have that power look with Bonner. You can go small with Clark. I think they have good high-end talent. I think that they check all the boxes in terms of rebounding and shooting and whatnot. And this is a potential one seed. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't have huge objections to that. Okay? I haven't, I haven't tenth. I don't, I don't. I think they're firmly in the elite tier. Uh, preseason Ken Palm has them eleventh. Their first big test is. November 18th, neutral site in Vegas against Illinois, and they'll play the winner of Baylor and Virginia. So that could be very instructive um, that first weekend, or the second weekend, excuse me, this season. They also have uh, a road game at Maryland, true road game on their docket, as well as the neutral game against Kentucky. So those are the three kind of notable ones for them in the non-con that we'll be looking forward to. But yeah, I mean, I like them. I said, like I said, I'm 10th. I have six through 10 is Baylor, Arkansas, Creighton, Kansas, and UCLA. If I were to do it again, maybe I'd say, okay, maybe I bump a little Arkansas down a couple spots, maybe I move up UCLA a couple of spots. Maybe I, I've been a little torn on Kansas. The more I look going back and forth, like I like them. I'd self, I feel very confident they'll stay in the top 15-ish. But I don't love the top-end talent, and I wonder if that will kind of get to them, especially when you start comparing, okay, well, look how good Tennessee looks. Look how good Texas looks. Look how much you like Villanova, Brad. You know, things like that. Those are things that concern me. But, look, I mean, I have Illinois 15 and Kansas 9. They played a close D2 exhibition. Kansas won a close game. That would, you know – that 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 lends a little confidence, at least on my end, in an exhibition game uh, stretch that has not done any favors to my confidence. That one is, is one that I do like. So that will be the only result we care about, Brad. That's how this works, right? Absolutely. <laughs> What's your sixth to ten? 
Right, so I have Houston at six, and I have them part of yeah. that first tier alongside my top five. Um, and then rounding out the top ten, I have Nova, which I wish they were a little healthier in the preseason. Looks, I mean, sounds like just Whitmore, obviously Moore, which I'm not even considering Justin Moore like an option for this year. But Whitmore, I think Patterson's out too. Patterson was like an in, interesting flyer. Uh, but I think Daniels missed time in the preseason. Like a bunch of guys have been in and out with various small ailments too, which has me concerned. But I have Nova at seven, Creighton at eight, Arizona at nine, Courtney Ramey suspended three bye games, which won't make a difference at the bye games. Maybe it'll hurt their cohesion for Maui or something. Um, then rounding out the top 10 with Kansas at 10. Yeah, I have Arizona at 16, so a little bit lower. Villanova at 13. My, my next 10 were Tennessee, Texas, Villanova, San Diego State, Illinois, Arizona, Texas Tech, which I didn't elect to move after the Fardaws injury. It sounds like conference play is the target there. Uh, Dayton at 18, which, again, didn't move him with Malachi Smith being potentially dinged up. UConn at 19, and then Indiana at 20. Okay, so for me, I kept Baylor at 11. And this is where some panic rising came in. I put Tennessee at 12, up from 22. I moved Texas to 13, up from, I think, 17. Which slid Alabama and Arkansas to 14 and 15. And I made that my second tier. So I, went, I had a 13 team. Or I, second tier being 7 to 13, now it's 7 to 15. Alabama and Arkansas there. Any the worry about Bama's 30 point loss to TCU? Absolutely. Of course I'm worried. But um, no no Bediaco in that game, and obviously no, no Quinterly, um, which it seems like Quinterly might be back sooner than I expected, but probably won't be Javon Quinterly um, if these things are any. These ACL and leg injuries or any a, any pattern there. Um, and then rounding out the top 20, Illinois, UConn, TCU, Indiana, and Virginia. Cool. I have in I have Alabama, TCU, Auburn, Michigan, and Xavier 21-25. I'm trying to figure out if I should have had if I should cut Xavier. But at this point, I'm sticking with it. Um, I'm trying to think. Like, I guess here's a good question for you, Brad. Like, what what team do you have outside the top 25 right now that you think you will regret ranking outside the top 25 most? I have a few. Okay, so I have obviously San Diego State, where I'm sticking with my theory that the anointed mid-major does not make it to the end. But I do like their roster specifically more than my three teams at 23 through 25, Texas Tech, Xavier, and Memphis. Um, Charles mentioned I have Florida and Providence 21 and 22. I I feel great about that top 22. It's Texas Tech, Xavier, and Memphis, which I'm very shaky on. Um, So San Diego State is certainly one. I think you have to throw Purdue in there because there's a chance that, I mean, Zach E.D. is like an offensive cheat code, and there's a chance that, the backcourt just kind of worked itself out. You know, there's been a lot of Braden Smith hype. We've seen flashes of scoring prowess from David Jenkins and Brandon Newman. Ethan Morton's a great glue guy. Some of these freshmen, um, I know people seem to like 
um, Fletcher Lawyer as well. So maybe this Purdue thing works in a very kind of stylized setup around 7-5 Zach Eady. And to give you a third one, I'll go with... I'll go with maybe Michigan in a similar thing where you have one of the best players in the country in Hunter Dickinson. You have a few guys around him that haven't been super productive or aren't super proven, but have that upside. You know, a lot of people like Jet Howard as a one and done. Terrence Williams was a super highly regarded recruit that we've mentioned a million times. People love Bufkin coming into last year, so... I think I'll go with San Diego State, Michigan, and Purdue as the three teams that I'm kind of concerned could make me look foolish. Yeah, I had Purdue on mine as well. Again, kind of, you mentioned ED obviously being a dominant force that no one can match. The coaching is a big part as well. Painter is very, very good at figuring it out and building his teams around his star power and making making his teams adapt to its strengths. And I think that's such an important tool in this day and age of college basketball. Um, Virginia, I'm starting to regret this one. Maybe I should hold firm. Maybe I should. But there's just growing and growing Virginia hype around. They got the starters back. They got all this retention. I've got them at 26. I've seen some like really, really high on Virginia takes, which – I just don't think meshes with the talent, but maybe I'll be the wrong one on that front. And then Oregon is one team I'm a little worried about because, look, the talent has never been the problem there. They've had some very, very good teams. They have a ton of talent. Um, they have guards who can really make shots. Will Richardson, obviously a critical piece, a very experienced piece, which you have to really, really like. Um, but Keyshawn Bartholomew and Jermaine Cousinard, um, they have these monstrous centers, and Dante and Ware. I've even heard that Nathan Biddle has been kind of arisen from the dead in practice. Maybe we shouldn't be sleeping on a year two jump from a, you know, top 20 recruit out of high school. Gary is still kicking around. I mean, this is, this is still a very talented team. If the chemistry is right, this team will be – one of the best in the Pac-12 and one of the best in the country. So I think I may regret not just slotting them in like the 18 to 22 range and just not looking quite as dumb if this team does wind up in the top 10 to 12, which I think they have the talent to do. Yeah, I mean, they are they have incredible talent. It's just I don't even know if it's chemistry as much as it's like, like roster construction, like Okay, Ware is going to play, right? Because Ware is a one and done. He's athletic, he's huge, and he can step out and shoot a little bit. Dante is also huge, veteran, super productive type of guy. Biddle's supposedly been great at practice, and he was a great recruit. Garrier's better at the four, maybe even as a small ball five. He can play the three, but then your whole backcourt is like these kind of scoring combo guards. How how does it mesh? How does it all fit together? That that is going to be a fun one to watch. Yeah, I agree. And 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 look, they're another team that we will learn a lot about in the first month. 
first month of the season. They have a home game against Houston before PK-85, which is really interesting to me because obviously we expect Houston to be incredibly disciplined. Houston bully doors off of Oregon last year in Maui, well, Maui and Vegas. And that was like the first, that was like the first huge warning sign. Like, okay, this team might not be any good. This team just has no fight. And so I, I'm very curious how that game goes. Huge test for Houston, be huge test for Oregon. And they put PK-85, and then we'll get three very quality games there before early conference play, where their two early conference games are home Washington State and then road UCLA. So the first four weeks of the season, they will get Houston. They will get three games of PK, which is obviously a strong field, and they will get UCLA. They start with UConn when they're in uh, Portland, which is worth noting. So, look, I mean, that is a team that could, you know, we've seen over the years teams just skyrocket because you're playing so many games, you're playing so many competitive games at the top. Like, there's always, like, a random number one, like, in early December. You know, is this going to stick? And it's just because they ran – they got a couple nice wins and played really well. But, like, remember when, like, Louisville was the number one team in the country under Chris Mack? Michigan got to number one briefly um, the year that they had Xavier Simpson. I believe they were number one very at one point very early in the season. Um, last year, Purdue got to number one briefly. Um, there's always a team. It's always the first week of December, right? Right after all the challenges. We're like, okay, this team's really the number one team in the country. I don't think Oregon will be the number one team in the country, but like there's a path to that with the schedule that they play. Whoever wins these big tournaments is going to get a huge boost. Oh, yeah. Because especially for voters that are going to look at resume, if you win PK-80 and you didn't run into the Portland schools, you just got, like, three monster wins. If you win Maui, let's say Creighton wins Maui. They beat Texas Tech, Arkansas, and Arizona. Everyone's going to vote Creighton at, like, number two or, like, definitely top five you know and the analytics maybe they'll maybe they'll be caught up but you know if it's a couple close games you know Creighton could be number one in the AP poll and still you know number 20 or whatever in the uh, analytics absolutely um I don't really do the like we need to do the final four picks and whatever because look your final four picks should be your top four teams Right. Yes. <laughs> but is there anyone that you have in that like next tier where you're like, man, that team. Like if I'm wrong, that team, if, if I, maybe I didn't go high enough. Maybe that team is like maybe that team could be a wrecking wrecking crew. Like I think obvious answer would be Texas and Tennessee just because they showed it a little bit. I think Tennessee would have been on my list before that. I think Illinois would kind of fit that. Like, OK, I am 15th. That's the team that, like if things break right, could definitely play in a final four. I mean, in my in my tier two, I mean, I like all these teams. From Villanova down to Arkansas, seven through fifteen. I mean, I I could easily see any of those teams making the Final Four. If I were to go sub top fifteen, a, a team I could see making a jump, maybe Florida. Yeah, they, they should have good guard play. They should have shooting. They should have athleticism. They have a great big who's one of the best 
players in the country in Colin Castleton. So guys like Fudge and Lane and Reeves are long and athletic. They got shooting with Jones and I, I mean all all accounts are that Reeves looks great and Richard he, he's he's hurt now, but I mean, people had him as a fringe NBA prospect. So the talents there, I think the skill set allocations there, good guard play, veteran team, good coach. I think Florida is a team outside of my top two tiers I could see making the final. That would be quite a thing for the Todd Golden hype train. That would kill Mike White. I mean, any any Mike White stock would just be in in the toilet immediately. Well, and also, I mean, look, if, if Todd Golden goes to the Final Four in year one at Florida, or even goes to, like, the Elite Eight, we are going to go into full, like, this guy is the next Coach K. It will be an overreaction, and I like Todd Golden quite a bit. You've heard that on the podcast many times. But the the, the he would be the anointed coach in college basketball all of a sudden. I, I was just about to say that. Didn't, didn't Mike White go to a Elite Eight in his first year at Florida? But that was his second year at Florida. And he was following Billy Donovan, not Mike right. White. And it, it, it was a quick um, perception change. Like, like the fans never really latched on to Mike White. No. The year that, the year it went down the year it went down the tubes for Mike White was the the, the Kerry Blackshear year. Was that 1920? Or was that the COVID? The, the, the I believe that was 1920. Was, I, 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 that was a huge. Yeah, they were like preseason top five. I think for me. As I well. mean, I think I had them like second. Yeah. I mean, they had everything. They had Trey Mann, Scotty Lewis. As freshmen, they had Kerry Blackshear starting center, and he was the anointed transfer that year, and it was good reason because he was great. I mean, right, he was proven. Yeah, he's proven, and he could shoot. You had sophomore Andrew Nemhard, sophomore Keontae Johnson, Noel Lock, Noel Lock, who was coming off a good freshman year. And that team once a game, 43% from three for Noah Locke. And that team went 19 and 12, scored 51 points against Florida State, 66 points against Towson, and 59 points against UConn in the first two weeks of the season. They lost on neutral court to Utah State. They were just middling the whole way. They were just they were just average. Part of it was, I remember, like, the big excitement about that team was, like, man, like, Kerry Blackshear is this big, you know, big center who can pick and pop and pick and roll, and Nemhard is this excellent pick and roll passer. And you got all these wings who can make shots, right? Johnson, Locke, Lewis, Trey Mann. And Mike White turned around and played 326-ranked tempo in the country. With two point guards in the roster. And one of the most athletic, what, two, two of the most athletic players in the country, right? Yeah. Nemhard's on the pages right now. Trey Mann is on the Thunder, both first-round picks. Or, or, or Nemhard might have been early second. You have Scotty Lewis, who's on the Hornets, right? And 
Keontae Johnson, who before his injury illness stuff, player. was like a lock NBA player. Had the best transfer in Kerry Blackshear and a knockdown shooter, Noah Locke. And they were 1912. Yet another example of why this podcast uh, is the living embodiment of the tweet dudes can just sit around and name random sports players for hours and never get bored. Although I'm going I, to act. Go ahead, Brad. I'm, I'm doing my best to give explanations with the names. Yes. Like not just like. Say the name. Remember no, that no. guy, yeah. Well, Josh Mbala, yeah, great, great defensive big. Now I'm, I'm doing my best because that, that is a criticism of college basketball podcasts. Is it's just like a cacophony of names. Well, and there was once I, I was staying over a friend's house, and because I was sleeping on the couch, I got up earlier, and I was just like looking for something to do, and John Rostein put out like a summer offseason podcast. Oh man. And he literally just like rattled their names. It was like, Big East preview, five players to watch, just said the names. And it's like, okay, freshmen to watch, and just said the names. So, <laughs> what? And anyone who didn't have, like, an encyclopedic knowledge of the teams, which, I mean, that's just like speaking a foreign language. Anyway. All right, last thing, briefly on, Flor- on that Florida era before we go. So the year before... Florida had Florida graduated three starters from that team to go get Blackshear and Sky Lewis and whatnot. Can you remember any of them? It's tough because I know my uh, brain is not is not meant for this recall. It's, uh, it feels it's meant to memorize all the current current rosters. It feels like it was right. ages ago. It does. So this is 18, not like 19. Casey. It's not like Casey Prather. I think it was. No. Was it Chris Chioza? Was he one? No, no, no. That's a little too old. All right. Let me so, let me regroup here. Okay. Um, one more guess, then we give it to the people, because otherwise we're gonna sit here just naming dudes. Yeah, my 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 brain is going too far back. Um, wait, well, this was a very irrelevant it? era in in. Florida basketball. Is it Eli Carter? No. I'm going to. My, so, my brain is saying, like, will you get Casey Prather? But that's no. Alex Tyus. That's, that's way, way too far back. So we've got Kevon Allen. Okay. Jalen Hudson. Okay. And Kavarius Hayes. I remember liking Kavarius. They were all starters. Also a starter on that team was Keith Stone. Transfer. Yeah, Stone. Transfer he was like a small ball five type of guy. Yes. Yeah, Hayes was like an athletic, um, you know, kind of like Josh Gray now or like Cliff Amorier, but yes. he, he was like a poor man's Cliff Amorier. Yeah. High block rate. Hayes. High, high efficiency. Yes. Good work. Um, K- Kayvon Allen was like a 6'2 scoring guard. Who I yeah. think had like a great exactly or more year, and then like, and then Jalen Hudson's similar thing. He transferred in from Vodtech. Yeah. He had like some great scoring games, but then was kind of stuck as like a sixth man type. Yes. Well done, Brad. Good work. All right, Thank let's you. get back to this season. Um, we've kind of mentioned the schedule being rough. 
the first four days, there just isn't a lot on the bone. Um, we've got Auburn versus George Mason, which we're excited about. That'll be a good litmus, litmus test for both teams. Um, Memphis versus Vanderbilt is certainly a interesting litmus test for both teams. Again, hard to know exactly the strength of either, but you kind of get, can at least get some sense. It's a good competitive game. Um, we've got a very light slate the next day, which is election day. And then Wednesday and Thursday, just buy games mostly again until Friday when you get Michigan State um, versus Gonzaga, Wisconsin, Stanford. Uh, you mentioned Eastern Michigan versus Michigan, which certainly has some appeal. Um, there's several games, though, that day. And then there's a good slate, and it's actually very frustrating. There's a bunch of games on Tuesday the 15th, Champions Classic Day, and it's, like, baffling. Like, Purdue plays Marquette that day. Purdue-Marquette would be like a headliner game any other day the first eight days of the season. But no. Because the the Gavit games had that second week, and then Champions Classic just moved right on top of it. Oh, yes. I I, I don't blame anyone in particular. It's it's a cacophony of errors, but, you know. Like, yeah, like... Why, why are we so afraid of election night? Are people really going to yes. throw on CNN instead of action for the midterm elections? I believe that's the case. And also, Brad, I think the biggest thing was we moved off of election day originally because we were worried that because we were because of the like voting initiatives to make sure players had the, had the chance to vote. So it was like, we're not going to play on election day. And then after one year of doing that, after one year of doing that, like they the, the, the like committees revisited that, so they did that in 2021, set the schedule for this year, uh, and then like mid like as, as the spring rolled on, people were like, okay, this was kind of stupid because like a bunch of teams like got exceptions and like most people just like voted by mail because they weren't in there like they're not registered in the college town to vote at home. Like, look at look home. at Kentucky, right? Any of those players from Kentucky? <laughs> But that was just like the way that was. That was just that the the it was it was a well-intentioned thing that has not necessarily panned out overly well in terms of. But, but all it did was you know, yes, there's nothing on that day. It's brutal. But the, the, but that Friday is the first real like set of the slate. So you have BYU, San Diego State. Um, we've talked about the game in the past. Houston plays St. Joe's. That'll probably be a blowout, but you never know. Um, they- Dayton SMU, correct? Villanova at Temple, interesting game. College of Charleston at North Carolina, that's a good buy. Nothing else. Iona Hofstra, good mid-major game. Um, any Kansas, Forest, right? We've got West Virginia Pitt. Florida State at UCF. Clemson at South Carolina. Um, USF at Auburn. Liberty at Alabama. Interesting things. I know. We again, if you spread all these Friday night games out over like the opening week, it would not be great by any means. But at least you'd be like, okay, there's something for like the average college bat for like the committed college basketball fan to watch. That's not just like a buy game, you know. Scheduling so stupid, it's unbelievable. Like, you know, people have been saying this. You know, this this isn't like a uh, take, but you know, I, I. I was saying to you a couple weeks ago, like you were so you gotta do like an expose on like how how we got this buy game nonsense. Like what other, like no other sport 
we play like these lopsided matchups to get more home games on the season ticket package. Like One football every other you sport, do. college football you do. No, no, no like, like like college sports you do. No professional sports do you jerry rig your schedule to have more home than road and give you back games. It'd be like if the Celtics started off the season playing like ten G League teams so they could get ten extra home games on their season ticket package. It, it it doesn't make it doesn't make any sense. Um, are you are you are you are you advocating for all all conference play or a division of Division One? No, this is this is what I'm saying because the scheduling is up to the college coaches who are incentivized to do what's best for their program, what they feel is best for their longevity, right, for their job security, to to prepare their team instead of giving us an entertaining product. And even if you just kept status quo the same with teams playing, you know, there's six or seven by games a year, maybe eight in some some instances. But you, but like like you were saying, somebody steps in and spreads these games out. Yes. That, they say, okay, that, Wisconsin, that, Stanford. That, I I know you wanted to start with a by game, but tough shit, you're playing Monday night. That is that is the that is the tricky thing. And again. It, that is very complicated. There's a few things that go into that. Number one being a lot of the scheduling is built by independent third parties, right? So you give Wisconsin Stanford as an example. That game is run by Intersport. Intersport is an event marketing company. Um, they do all sorts of event, uh, sporting events. They put on everything from a pickleball league to basketball stuff to football stuff. Like they're very like they they're putting together a game that they can sell to CBS or to, I think CBS has the rights to this Wisconsin every game, but they're putting a game together, a game that they can sell the rights to that will be profitable and that they can sell tickets to. And Wisconsin Stanford needs it to be a Friday night to you know sell tickets in Milwaukee, right? Like ev- inevitably everyone is involved is going to try to, you know, extract their own value. And there's, but, and, and, and you're correct, Brad, like if, if you could get to a point where there was like an overseer, we'd basically like, we need we need to be able to put product um because conferences do this right in their conference schedules they work with the TV partners to put together a, a, a slate that makes sense for the conference to get le- a, a degree of exposure and for the TV network to have um high quality inventory right so in conference play like the Mountain West for instance puts out their schedule. And it's every team is playing Wednesday, Saturday, and then they move the schedule as the season goes, as as the uh, off season rolls along. And in doing so, they add Tuesday games and Friday games to get TV inventory and give good TV inventory to the league. And we'll say, oh, well, you know, maybe Friday game is not going to do as well ticket wise as Saturday. Well, again, tough shit. We need to put games on Fox to so our league makes money. Right. So is there something you could do with non-conference scheduling to do that? Not easily, not without changing the entire structure. But that's that's the reason you have these problems is that games coalesce around dates that make sense for one coaches and two for uh, event companies and and be whenever ESPN will basically fit you in. Right. Right. Because right. Because we, no, have, we have a lot of football sports. early season. Right. Correct. Yeah, we, we have football early season. And then for the most part, between the tournaments, the Gavit games, and the Big Ten ACC, and then we have down the, the Big East, Big 12 challenge, 
you know, that that's a pretty good three week, right? The week before Thanksgiving week, the week after we're in good shape. It's this opening week. And then when, when you get to finals, it gets very sporadic. You know, you'll, you'll have a couple of good, good weekends as, as conference football transitions into the postseason. Um, but just a real missed opportunity, especially opening week. It, it feels like we're doing a lot of like, Oh, we're second fiddle anyway, so so who cares? Like, like no no one watches us until January, so we can do an opening night just full of crap. But like, I don't. I think you have to try. Well, at the end of the day, like at the end of the day, if nothing else, Champions Classic was a tent post event that was promoted heavily by ESPN. Uh, was promoted heavily by. Um, everyone really involved in college basketball. But that was like a thing where like an average sports fan who watches Monday Night Football, right, where we're recording this podcast as the Browns play the Bengals and the Browns destroy the Bengals, which is interesting enough. But during college football games on Saturday, during Monday Night Football, they're doing their reads and saying, you know, college basketball returns on Tuesday for the Champions Classic. And Duke is going to play, you know, Kansas and Michigan State's going to play Kentucky. And this is an exciting game with Tom Izzo and John Shire and this and that. And this year we don't, we're not going to have that to start the year. It's literally going to be like, okay, the season started, and then they're going to promote like, yeah, the college basketball is underway a week later. Here we go. And oh, by the way, two days later we're going to have these tournaments that are going to be on, you know, the main ESPN networks. Uh, and then the week next, the next week's Thanksgiving. So again, I don't want we, we could spend the whole podcast on this. We probably shouldn't, but like. There's no easy there's no easy answers. Like you said, Brad, there's a lot of competition in the marketplace. People say, oh, well, why don't you start at Thanksgiving? Well, ones, coaches have no interest in starting on Thanksgiving and not having any warm up into tournaments. Number two, Thanksgiving is a crowded sports weekend itself uh, with uh, beyond the holiday. You have football, NFL football every day, including Black, Black, Black Friday. Now you have college football rivalry weekend, which is the biggest weekend of the year in college football. Uh, you have the NBA still going. You have hockey still going. So say, oh, Thanksgiving, okay, well, why don't you just wait till January? Okay, well, then the whole sports marketing around March Madness dies. That seems like a losing strategy. So to a certain extent, I think you do have to just kind of bite your nose and say this is what we get – or not bite your nose, good Lord um, – Plug your nose, bite your tongue. Uh, plug your nose and say this is what we have to deal with. But at the end of the day, there needs to be some level of effort made, whether it's a conference level, whether it's with the TV partners, to get quality games in opening week. And as long as things go back to next, when next year election day is at the start of the season, and we put, um, you know, Champions Classic back on its normal night. We're in great shape. That will fix a lot of things. Although I have heard maybe Champions Classic does not go back. That stays week two. If that's the case. I think we have some problems. Yeah. And, you know, it's pro- probably should be January to May, but for the season, but that's way too drastic. You know, I mean, right. You can't do you it. So what happened when during, during the COVID year where the tournament was shifted one day and it was, it was so jarring. And, well, and also people were like shifting the whole season two months. Right, P- people were opposed to doing uh, January to May during the COVID year, 
because they were worried, like, oh, man, like, it's not March Madness anymore. What would you do if there's no, like, global disease that's causing this? People would freak. And so usually we have the Champions Classic tempole on opening night. But then there's no – all, all momentum is just squashed. Like, I'm looking at last year, day two. You know what the best game was on this day? It's always horrible. Yeah. Probably Buffalo at Michigan. Lee I remember High watching that Rutgers game live. I was on my way to Buff. I was on my way to watch the Paul versus Coppin State. Yeah. So, and. Anything that okay, we got the casual fan. They watched Zion or whoever on Champions Classic. Oh, great game! Oh, um, Quentin Grimes has 30 points. Manuel Manuel quickly has 40 points. Whatever he had, all that should be carried on the rest of the week. Uh, I don't think it's going to get carried on to Buffalo and Michigan. I don't, looking at the Thursday. George Washington at Maryland. That was a close game. Yes, I remember watching UC that. UC Riverside game. beat Arizona State, but like yeah, that's, that's, a, that's not a momentum. Full court heave. Yeah, that's not momentum. No, you're 100 percent right. The first because after the first week, it does, we've done a nice job, right? We've got all these events between the Gavit and ACC Big Ten, which might go away, but right, like there there are enough of these scheduled things that are giving you both weekday and weekend content in college basketball. The first week is consistently a problem. And if we don't fix it, it's always going to kind of start with a – it, it, it was it was less drastic when you had Champions Classic. Now that it's not there, you're like, holy crap, what are we doing? Right. Well, anyway, that's our long take on scheduling college basketball. Look forward to Friday night, the 11th. We will podcast before then. Um, Checking on the buy games. There will be buy game losses. So that you can look there. And I, you know, I'm I'm glad Providence is playing on the Tuesday. I can't can't remember the last time I've been able to actually watch opening night. It's too bad this it's not Champions Classic, but they'll yeah. flip around. There'll there'll be some some close calls and some upset buy game losses on the Monday. The Providence Rider on, on the Tuesday might be the best game of the day. Either that or Purdue and Milwaukee. Um, and then we'll pot either Wednesday or Thursday. Let's ride. One thing I wanted to mention. Yes. I'm not sure where, where we are in in our pod schedule, but um, NCA let people know that they aren't dead, that they aren't asleep at the wheel. And we're, we're going to penalize one of the most exciting highest potential players in the sport for half the year. Baba Miller, Florida State, 6'11", can handle the ball, play three through five. He can shoot. He was like this incredibly intriguing prospect. But we're not going to see him first half of the year. Get suspended for for taking a trip to Spain to practice or something. He paid it back, which is stupid. It was, he, he took a trip to the U.S. for something. Gotcha. He never cooperated. But but I've learned one thing: never cooperate with the NCAA. Um, and I didn't—I I didn't move Florida State down at all. I mean, I, I think Cameron Fletcher will do a fine job, and he might might have even been the starter, regardless if Miller was there or not. Uh, but Florida State's depth has taken a hit, and 
Miller was a high upside guy with like lottery potential. Now we have to wait until you know pretty deep into the season. Yeah, this is it, the thing about this. And again, like keep up girls, whatever. But these numbers are always just so arbitrary. Like, how do we how do we I'm decide? It's because different people are handling different cases and they have right. full autonomy. How do we decide? Yeah, anymore. like that. Him taking a trip is 16 games, but that the Memphis infractions case with James Wiseman taking money and then paying it back was only worth probation. That was eleven thousand dollars, right? right? Well, a trip to the U.S. from Spain could be like pretty expensive. Maybe not eleven thousand dollars. I thought they said three thousand dollars. Whatever. I didn't see that. Um, but I mean, this um, is going to discourage future European right. guys from coming over. Right. You and again, the same thing. I was like, okay. Um, player uses unsanctioned agent. They miss X number of games, but even that has not been consistent. Um, who's the one who suspended this year for an unsanctioned agent? Damian Ball, right? Or yeah, or, he hasn't been it? suspended, but he's yeah, he's in trouble. And Jolie Childs was was the first one. I think he missed like a nine games. Time. Yeah, I think he missed nine. And there's, Why are we telling these great players to not play college basketball? We get all the good players in and keep them here. Well, again, I I am more sympathetic to certain ones than others, right? Like I have I have zero sympathy for Courtney Rain. Everyone knew there was no there was there was no lack of clarity that Portsmouth was not allowed. It was fully known. It was known by NBA people. It was known by college people. People publicized. The heck out. Like I saw a Gavoni tweet at the time. It was like Portsmouth is not sanctioned. No one else went and tried to come back or even like considered coming back. And Ray was like, yeah, I'm 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 doing this. I'm going and coming back. But he only missed three games. Right? Like, well, what well, why is that different than using a non-certified agent? You know what I mean? There's no there's no consistency. So and I I also don't believe any of the additional details that get provided by the college basketball media to evoke sympathy. Or I think like Jeff Goodman said, oh, Damian Ball, he like didn't sign with the agent. He just like said he was going to like. Yeah, who cares? Like that's coming directly from the player side. Like that's the most slanted thing in the world. We, we, we have to stop suspending players, especially good players in teams and like shooting ourselves in the foot from a talent perspective, from, from in, an intrigue perspective, um, but then we 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 don't have to fabricate all this stuff for the sob stories. Correct. I'm trying to think if 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 there's any other. We we have a couple of waiver things, which I didn't, I didn't expect waivers to really be a factor this year, but it seems like Jay Heath for Georgetown is the. Big big guy out there waiting for his waiver. I mean, he, he's not like a star or anything, but he, probably a double-figure scorer in the Big East. He was in the Pac-12. Probably Georgetown's, like, third best player. Yeah, it hasn't been, like, overly publicized, too. That's the other thing. I think there, I, there might I be follow some... a few Georgetown people on Twitter, and I've seen them talk about it. But... No, no, I'm, I'm not saying Jay Heath. I'm saying in general with the waivers. I, I do Because th- I do think there's more out there than is, like, being discussed. So, so you mentioned Jay Heath. One of the other names that I have seen is Colby Rogers. 
transfer from Siena. Two-time transfer at Wichita State. Um, again, I think in in any case where there is no waiver right now, or or you say that, or you hear that a team is still waiting for a kid to get cleared, that means that the opposing school, the, the, the departing school, did not sign the NPO, the no participation opportunity, the runoff waiver, um, which we've discussed in the past. I, I have mixed feelings on like my general view is like it's incredibly stupid that the expectation is that a school should have to lie and say oh yeah the kid was not going to be allowed to play here uh just to let the kid transfer like if you want if you want them to be able to just change the rules right if you want kids to be able to transfer any a million times let's just make the rule that you could transfer a million times if the rule is going to be you can transfer once it shouldn't be you can transfer once and, you, and then you can transfer again as many times as you uh, are able to, you know, effectively pressure your previous school to say that you were runoff. Like the number of players who were quote unquote runoff is preposterous. It is absurd. Landers Nolly was not runoff. Let's get out of here. Right? I mean, the, when, when you're seeing guys who are starters getting NPOs, guys who are fringe all league players getting NPOs. Give me a break. It's absurd. It's preposterous. So I don't blame, right? Like if, you know, like if if this situation is like if if the Colby Rogers situation at Wichita State, if if it's that, right? If it's Sienna saying oh, we didn't sign, we're not signing a runoff waiver. Like I get that, right? I fully would understand because it is incredibly stupid that Sienna's going to lose its leading scorer and then they have to sign that he was runoff. Just so that the kid can be kid can play, not 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 our problem. The system's messed up, right? That would be my 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 fault. But also, like, it does suck, right? It's not it isn't fair. It's not right. right. People should be able to transfer as 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 many times as they want, well, because at least from a, a perspective for the for the health of the sport, it doesn't affect that at all. Like the best players on the best teams are not transferring. Like even Tyrese like, Hunter, Kendrick right, Davis, right. Pete right. Nance. Oh, is North, Northwestern's one of the best teams. They're a high major. Relax. <laughs> but like, if if a guy scores like ten points a game at 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 at, at Michigan, the, the odds are he's probably not transferring. And I think that the the runoff thing I think is really overblown because. I think most guys who transfer down, I don't think are runoff. Like, correct. But now we are just lying and saying right. the kid got runoff, so they get their second time transfer waiver. Right, because like most most teams are gonna, only going to have like eleven or twelve scholarship guys. I I think the dude who was the twelfth man last year, I think probably if he wanted to come back and be the eleventh man this year, I think their team would probably do it. It's just the, like the player has agency and wants and desires as well. Like the player doesn't want to be the 11th man again. You know, he, he wants to play, you know, he, he's a basketball player. So he wants to transfer down. Now that's, that's not every case. I'm sure that there, there are some cases um, where, where the player has been told, you know, we need your scholarship or you're not a big 10 player. Get, get the hell out of here. Like, again, my, my viewpoint on it is this, like, if you want to make it that way, that's fine. My, I, 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 I would not have an issue in fact, I think there'd be some real upside to actually enforcing it as a one-time transfer, because at least at that point you would be able to 
have some stability and roster building. And I do think that that is valuable. I do think that that matters. I do think that's something that's worth striving for, but I do also think, I, I think it has to be one or the other. You either have to have some rules or you have to make clear that there are no rules. You cannot say there's rules and then the expectation is that they don't get enforced. And when they do get enforced, people try to start petitions to complain. Right. Like the, uh, there's another here's another th- a third waiver. Uh, Damari Franklin at Memphis is waiting on one. And it's a similar situation. So uh, Damari. So apparently Damari told and this one is even more tricky. But Damari told UIC that he wanted to not play this year, transfer in December when he graduated. And UIC then responded by not renewing his athletic related aid for the fall. So he then transfers. And so he can't, and and he is a sec, he is a second time transfer, uh, so he needed a waiver from UIC, and UIC is not signing an NPO because again he had a participation opportunity in their eyes. This one, that one is actually a little more complex again because you could argue he did not have an NP, he did not have a participation opportunity because he his athletic aid was not renewed. But once they pulled his scholarship, he should be able to transfer wherever. Right, but if they said if he had already said. Well, but they're saying, no, no, the only reason your scholarship was pulled was because you're transferring. Right, because if he – were... don't, We don't have to offer you the aid anymore once you're not going to play. It's not like he's saying, I'm going to transfer after this season. He's saying, I'm not going to play for you this year, and I'm going to use right. your scholarship anyway for the fall. Exactly. Right, Which... so I, I think once he says, I'm not playing this year, they have every right to be like, well, if you're not going to play basketball, why should you be on the basketball scholarship? I but agree then once that. they pull the scholarship, I think he has the right to play wherever he wants because he doesn't have a scholarship anymore. Right, but, but, but does that make no sense? Is that the school, he should be allowed to play right away because he wasn't, because he wasn't going to play right away. That doesn't make any sense. He wasn't going to play at UIC, but if he doesn't have a scholarship... Right, because you you can't if 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 you're gonna make the runoff rule, which I think is a pretty reasonable one. Like if there's no scholarship for you, yes. you should be able to go find a new spot. You can't have it like differentiate for like different special cases. If right, there's no but, scholarship for you, you can play right away. No but, matter but how, is, how but, that happens. But Brad, but Brad, how is that any different than like spring semester, right? So like we'll go to Colby, Colby Rogers, right? Like Colby Rogers. Decides in April, I'm I'm going to transfer, and he tells you know Carm like I'm 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 transferring. Um, okay, cool, Colby. That means your athletic aid will not be renewed for next year. Okay, but does that mean now that he had an NPL? Right, it's no different. It because it's in the fall semester, it's like clouds your judgment, but like it's the same thing. Your athletic aid is not renewed if you're transferring, whether that's on August 1st or April 1st. Well, yeah, I mean, that's if, 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 if whenever anyone leaves, if they get like a legal notice that their scholarship isn't being renewed, then yeah, then everyone would fall. And I, I didn't realize that when you transfer or when, when you leave, some, you get like some schools notice. don't have a school. Some schools, policies are different. I figured it was like, no shit. I, I'm leaving. I, I'm not on scholarship for next year. 
I know that 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 had to be declared. I think it does have to get declared technically. I don't know. You have to talk to an SID or something. But that was a nice little uh, tangent. Anything else we should hit on, Brad, in this podcast? Um. Oh, in, in terms of um, potential early early buy games to watch, we touched on the Louisville Bellarmine, which is on the Wednesday. Um, but Minnesota, I don't think, is going to have Jamison Battle. It seems like his injury, they called it week to week. They have Western Michigan, who I think is around 200-ish in Ken Palm. They were bad, bad last year. But it's year one under Dwayne Stevens, longtime Michigan State assistant. They brought in Trey Maddox. They have Lamar Norman at point guard. I don't think they would lose that game. But... It, it, if, if, but, I mean, look, I mean, we've seen bad high-major teams lose to really bad teams, right? Like, Washington was not even that bad last year and lost to Northern Illinois. Right, there was one year where Rutgers lost to Hartford. It was like 300-something in Ken Palm. So, um, the higher you are, the higher chance the upside, no matter how good you are, right? Like, the, the upset has more to do with the opponent than the high-major team. Because if, if you're sleeping, you're sleeping. Um, and then three other teams that are playing. I, th- I think all, all three of these teams are like top 150. Um, Wake has Fairfield, Oklahoma has Sam Houston, and Duke has Jacksonville. Duke could could be down, guys. I'm not sure what. They're yeah, doing. I just assume a Cameron, no problem. Well, the year that Stephen F. Austin beat them, that 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 wasn't a vintage Stephen F. Austin team, like that. No, but it was a very good team. That was the COVID. That was the year the COVID canceled the tournament. I think that was Stephen Austin's year that was like, going to go to the tournament. Weren't they like in the at-large mix because of wins above bubble and there was like, yes. a big argument, and then they like lost a couple of games and were kind of off. off right, the but, but Stephen F. Austin went twenty-eight and three that year, Brad. With, with, with a win at Duke. Yeah, they're pretty good. So like I assume that you're right. Like Fairfield, Fairfield could be solid. They played Rutgers for like 15 points without Caleb McConnell. So maybe there's something there against Wake. And then the third one you mentioned was? Um, Sam Houston's top 150, yes. right? They're playing Oklahoma. Yeah, that could be interesting. Your boy, uh, Kawazi Izagu. They're going up against Tanner Groves. It's a big deal. Um. Do you have anything else of note? I don't think so. I think I've captured what we should capture. I think we're ready to do a college basketball season, Brad. Some real games in here. It's crazy. Who would have thought? I'm I'm so excited for Providence versus Ryder. I can't even believe it. Ryder, good point guard, Dwight Murray. And, and Alan, uh, Alan Beatran from uh, Alan Beatran and uh, Tariq Ingram. Oh, from Wake Forest. Yeah, up front. He'll help uh, Ajiri Ogimuno Johnson at the five. Did we ever talk Manhattan on this podcast? I don't know. We didn't because – no, we didn't. Jose Perez going to West Virginia. Yeah. Talk about weird eligibility stuff. I mean, who the <laughs> hell knows there? 
And also, I, I, I have West Virginia as being full, but verbal commits isn't updated, so who, who the hell knows? I had West Virginia as one over. And then they took Jose, so. Look, Jose Perez, I tweeted about it. Jose Perez is a very good mid-major player. Um, his best way of beating of, of scoring is being more physical than you. He's a good passer. He's not a great shooter. He's not a great defender. He's not great without the ball. Those things don't tend to work that well at a high major, but West Virginia needed shot making and production, um, playmaking ability, because Eric Stevenson was their best offensive weapon other than Trey Mitchell. So roll the dice. I mean, Mitchell's hurt too. He hasn't yeah. practiced yet, I guess. I don't I, I don't quite understand. This is the big thing that I don't get at all. Is how Jose Perez is enrolling in school like today. Maybe they have open enrollment. Well, but you can't just start a class on November first. I guess you could take like asynchronous online classes. Or or, or, or yeah, or, or maybe they have like like a weird Right. I'm assuming I'm assuming I'm assuming it's asynchronous online classes, but it's like it's again it's like, like what school is taking transfer credit from a kid who probably has one semester of credits left to take? West Virginia. Oh, West Virginia. <laughs> so, um, any any other other teams that you're excited to to uh, check out? It's like in, in general, like oh wow, I'm, I'm I I cannot wait to get eyes on this team. Is this like South Florida from last year, or like? Except we're actually going to watch them this time. Okay. Not not South Florida. We're we're, we're actually going to watch the teams that we talk about right now. Agreed. Um, it's a great question. I'm very excited about. I, I, I'm strangely excited about Kansas State. Kansas State. Okay. I just want to see it. There's so much hype and optimism, and I can't tell if it's just, like, Jerome Tang and Jerome Dowling are really good at Twitter, or if, like, this thing is kind of rolling. I've seen, like, Naquan Tomlin is going to be, like, this stud. Like, I'm just, like, curious. Like, is this, like, is this going to be a thing? I mean, how is Keontae Johnson going to be Keontae Johnson? Like, how, how is that going to be possible? I don't know. I don't, I I don't see the Kansas State thing at all. I I know that they're very high in the analytics because the whole big, big yeah, twelve gets that boost and stuff. But I don't, I I think they're clearly last place in it. Well, I'm just curious to see it, right? Like, it, yeah, they very well might be. We might see it pretty early, but it's like, what does it look like? You know, like does it stink? Do they have some energy? Like, is, it like is it like Minnesota last year where like they are? Tough in the non-con and then have no shot in conference play. That's that's probably it. They'll probably win like a, a game that they shouldn't in the non-con. Yeah. Beyond like the bracketology and like the last four in, and then conference play, they'll just keep dropping, dropping, dropping. Right. They just won't. But I thought that was going to happen with Iowa State last year. And and they went what seven and eleven. Yeah. It didn't matter though. But I I'm I'm really excited to see. Virginia Tech, because you know I'm I'm the resident tech hater. The analytics love them. They they should shoot the ball really well. We'll see if Justin Mutz can take a jump. But that'll be a fun team to track. You're you are the resident hater, no question. 
I'm excited for uh, Marquette, too. Yes. They, they have a lot of young talent, but it's, it's pretty seasoned talent. Like Kolek and Omax, Cam Jones, they're all technically sophomores, but they all played a, a, a lot last year. And Kolek and Omax, the, the, the uh, year prior, they played. So. Um, with Marquette, the uh, key is going to be, is, is the overall talent level high enough? Like, if Tyler Kolek's their best player, like, is that... Is that tenable? Yes. I don't think. I don't know. I mean, I've seen. I've seen a lot of uh, Marquette fans angry that he found like the koozie list. I made my own <laughs> lists. I don't. I don't believe in the lists that were presented. But but Tyler Kolek did not make my koozie list. My my take was that I like Tyler Kolek. I think he's a chance to be at the end of the season. But if we're seriously complaining about a snub of a guy who's statistical career at Marquette involves him shooting 32% from the field and averaging seven points a game, we've missed the plot. I mean, how would you put Tyler Kolek on the koozie? Right, that, that, was, that was my thing. Like, like, Xavier like, Johnson. Right, name Jamal me one of these guys you're better than him. He's better than him. Yeah. Maybe like the mid-majors, but like that's not right to do. I mean, the mid-majors are proven talent. You'll be proud of me. I... In, in terms of mid-majors, I put on Jordan Walker, Yuri Collins, Isaiah Stevens, Jalen Cook, and Darius McGee. Good for you. Thank what a you guy. Know. What a guy. I think the one I put on that I'm probably going to regret is Trayvon Brazil. I think that was a uh, kind of a hype train. Yeah, like a flash in the pan with that athleticism, but we'll see. Anything else? No, I mean, we can list off teams we're excited to see all day. Yeah, I'm excited to see a whole lot. I'm just excited to see hoops. Very, very, very pumped. Very, very grateful to everyone who has tuned in and checked out our content all off season long. Please enjoy the games. It goes by quick. Those 21 weeks of college basketball do fly by. Uh, we appreciate it. Please check out the 1 to 363 rankings. We've alluded to them many, many times on this podcast, at least I have. Uh, me and Molly Geary, my editor, have been working on this for months, and we are very, very excited about the final product. Matt Norlander, chickened out. I'm kidding, Matt. Uh, Matt Norlander, chickened out of doing 1 to 363. So it's just me and uh, Riggs over at Barstool, ranking every team. So please check us out. Give me some love. Much appreciated. And uh, we'll see you all with basketball to discuss.